Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. We've kind of been talking about how, you know, faith works in some, for us, some of us, the obvious places, right? Like when we come together and we sing to God, like faith works here. Faith seems to work when we open up God's word together. Faith works, uh, you know, when we're in church. But what about when we leave here? What about when you go to work and you are faced with questionable ethical decisions? Like, do you do what is right that's full of integrity? Or do you compromise so that you can kind of get along to go along? Uh, does faith work when you go to school and maybe there's folks that don't agree with you or maybe they have different views than you and maybe they're hostile towards your faith? Does faith work then? Does faith work when you're having conversations with your nurse, your barista, your hairdresser, your hairstylist? Does, does faith work in all the different venues of life or does it just work here where everyone kind of already agrees with us and sees the world the same way? And what we've been talking about is faith has to work outside of these walls for it to be authentic faith. That faith by its nature, it's not philosophical, it's not esoteric, it's, it's actually uh, very practical. It's actually meant for real life living. And so, so far in our series, we've covered that faith works when life doesn't. Faith works when life does not work. We are all going to experience trials. We are all going to experience tribulations. We're going to experience hard times, but God is with us in those things, and he's walking with us in those hard places. We also talked about how faith works through our actions in what we do. Faith isn't just something that stays in our heads and our hearts, but it works its way out into our hands and into our our feet. We also talked about last week about how faith works in our mouth. Faith has to shape our speech. The words that we have to say have to match our actions. And so faith works in those venues. And so today we're going to talk about, I think, a really crucial venue where we need to see faith work. And that's faith works in our relationships. Because we are all in relationship with someone, whether we are dating someone, we're married to someone, you know, someone, you know, is our parent or our siblings. We're all in relationships. And specifically, how does faith work in relational conflict? when we have some disagreements, when things aren't really going our way, and we all kind of experience conflict in different ways. I I remember talking to a friend of mine who had just made a new hire, and, you know, they'd onboarded them, and things were going, you know, I think they they had that person there for about a year, and they were saying, I'm really frustrated with this new hire, because, you know, I I give them a project, and they maybe get like 50% of it done. They're dropping all these different balls, and I'm trying to be a good manager, so I'm like, I'm trying to pick up the balls, and I'm trying to coach them, but it seems like they can never get to the rest of that 50%, and I'm just so frustrated with them, and I'm I'm trying to be a good guy, and I want to, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I want to, you know, encourage them, but I am really struggling with how do I manage this person, because I kind of feel like they're taking advantage of me. Or maybe you've had this happen, like maybe you and your spouse, you're having what you'd consider an innocuous conversation. Like, you know, it's not very emotional. It's like, hey, what, what do we want to do for vacation, right? And, you want, and, and you're like, you know what? It's been a really crazy year. I just want to do something where we can relax. Lay on the beach, maybe go to the lake, something very low-key where we're not doing anything. But your spouse is like, you know what? We should do something where we are constantly on the go all week. 
We can visit all the museums and we can go, you know, we can go parasailing and we can do this, we can do that. And then all of a sudden, what should be just a disagreement where you can compromise, all of a sudden, like hurt words are, are being said, your feelings are hurt, you, you're slamming doors, your kids are crying because they're seeing you guys fight, and you're like, how the heck did we get here? This was supposed to be an easy conversation, but then all of a sudden, it just went kind of all over the place. And maybe if you've had some of these situations where you have some conflict, whether it's in your relationships, maybe you want to sit with uh, Pastor James, because we've been going through the book of James, and maybe you take James for coffee at like Alabaster, or maybe you take him to Texas Roadhouse, wherever, you know, you would take your your pastor. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Red Lobster, whatever works. And so you're sitting with James, and you're poured out to James, like, you know, the struggles you have, the tensions you have, you you know, all those kind of things. And James, because he's a good pastor, just kind of looks, and he he listens quietly. Then he asks a question. He says, "Uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Essentially, what what James is saying is, you know, you think you're fighting over this issue, but actually, you got to go a little bit deeper. The the issue is actually a little bit deeper. It's not about the thing you're fighting for. It's about the thing that's underneath the thing. That's what you have to go after. Because here's the thing, whether it's in relationships, romantic relationships, whether it's in, you know, working relationships, friendships, whatever it is, oftentimes when we come into that situation, whether it's conflict, we aren't actually having conflict with that person. We're actually having conflict with their baggage. You guys know what I mean by that? Like, all of us, we bring a bag with us in all of our interactions with people. We all have a bag. And this bag is filled up with stuff from life. Uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, years ago, like, I, I, you know, I, the exact situation, I can't remember, but I remember doing something with uh, my parents, and I wasn't learning something quick enough, or I didn't pick up on something fast enough, and one of my parents said, are you dumb or something? You know, it was just a quick thing, and I think they may have even apologized, but I still remember that 41 years later. It got tattooed on me. And so now, like, there's this, this thing in my book bag that says, I'm not smart enough, I'm kind of dumb, and so I take this with me wherever I go, trying to feel like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do this and that so I can feel smart or, or, or I can measure up. And it becomes a script that I take with me everywhere I go, especially in conflict. All of us, we bring a bag with us, and so sometimes when we have an issue, we're not discussing the issue, we're discussing what's in our bags. And oftentimes things happen to us or things that we have are in these bags that we just kind of put up with and keep doing because that's what we think we're we're supposed to do. We kind of live out of that place. And so if you opened up your bag, maybe some of the things that you would find is selfishness. We all bring this to our situations, don't we? Uh, You know, from an early age we learned, mine, my toy, my way. And so often we manipulate we're passive-aggressive. We stonewall until we get our way because we think we, we deserve to have it our way. Because it's the right way. It's the best way. But really, what we do is we bring selfishness into those situations. Or if it's not selfishness that's in our bag, maybe it's insecurity. Maybe we feel like we don't measure up. And I think all of us at times feel like we don't measure up. Maybe someone says something to you when you're a kid and you hold on to that. And you bring that with you wherever you go, insecurity. 
We don't measure up. Or, or how about this, past hurt? We bring our past traumas. We bring our past pains. And so when we're having a conversation about something that seems innocuous to us, it triggers something deep inside, a deep pain, a deep anger. And all of a sudden, our reaction is over the top, over and beyond that very situation that we are reacting to. And the thing is, we bring these things with us in our bags. Wherever we go, we bring these things with us. And so your conflict is never with the person. Sometimes it's with the bags that we bring. That's why James is like, if you really want to get to the bottom of your conflict, you got to go a little bit deeper. you got to go ask some of those deeper questions. And so we're going to take James's advice and we're going to go a little bit deeper. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're going a little bit deeper. We're going a little bit deeper. All right, we're going to go deeper here. So let's go back to James Ted to us in verse 1. He says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? So let me give you a little bit of context here. Uh, James is a pastor. He's pastoring a church of Jewish believers who just became followers of Christ in Jerusalem. They're one of the first Christian communities in the world. And they're having some major, major issues. They're, they're having these fights. In fact, this word fight and quarrel is actually warfare terms. And they're fighting over all sorts of things. Uh, really, a lot of it's around wealth inequality. We're going to talk about that in, in a few weeks. And, and really, you know, they're saying they're putting their desires. And this word for desire is actually the word hedonai, where we get the word hedonism from. So there are some folks in James's congregation that are putting their hedonistic desires, their desire for pleasure, their desire for comfort, their desire to kind of make things about themselves over and beyond people in their church that are suffering, that are struggling. And it's causing all sorts of division and all sorts of conflict. And so James is, is trying to have this conversation with them. And he says this, he says, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. But you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You know, it's interesting because like they're having this, 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 this battle in their church, and, and literally he's like, you kill and you covet. Now, we don't know if this is actually, they're literally killing each other. There were probably some Jewish zealots or, or revolutionaries that were in James's congregation. But most likely, James is probably talking about more metaphorically. He basically says that all you simply do is you compare and you complain. You guys ever complain, uh, compare and complain? Like you're thinking, man, their house is bigger than mine or nicer than mine or, or your kids are more well-behaved than mine or whatever it might be. We compare. And comparison never leads to anything good. It leads to complaining. And we start to complain about what we don't have. We, we complain about the worst of what we know about ourselves to the best of what we see in other people, Right? I mean, social media is notorious for this. We're always comparing as we're scrolling by. And James is saying, you're actually attacking. And he's even saying this. He's like, you, you, have, you have this need, but rather than asking God for it, and maybe it's a legitimate desire, but you're not asking God for it. Instead, you're complaining about it. And then when you finally do ask God, your motives are all jacked up. Look what he says here. He says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. So James is taking it a little bit deeper. He's like, even when you ask for the right things, you do it so that you look good. You do it so that you can have your pleasure met. Ever, do that? ever, ever done that? Maybe you're like, you know, you know maybe you you're, have a project at work and you're like, God, make this project awesome so I look good, 
but so I can point people to your glory. God, God, can you help me make more money so I can give more? You know, whatever it might be, we, we sometimes pray and we sneak in this kind of darker motive, but here's the trick. No one else knows about it except for us and God. And James is saying, you got to go a little bit deeper. And then James has some really harsh words to say. He's like having a real honest conversation. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So I think this is interesting here. James like, you guys, you say that you're a friend of mine. You say that, you know, you know that we're, we connect and that you love me with all your heart. You even come to church and you sing, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. You go and you sing with these worship songs, but then when you leave church, people, when you leave the church, you're living like the rest of the world. You compromise. You, 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 do, you kind of have selective obedience. You, you go, okay, I'll obey this because this will make me look good, but man, God, if I obey this, this is going to cause all sorts of trouble. See, the reality is we're, we're living out of this book back. And so we're carrying this with us, all of our selfish desires and our insecurities and our past trauma and all of that. God's saying, you've made a choice. You're not friends with me. You say that you are. You talk it, but you've got a good talk. But you're not walking it out. Your actions are denying what you're talking about. And so James gets even more. He's like, he, he calls them an adulterous people. He's like, guys, God's like a jealous lover in this situation. But he's rightfully jealous. Look what he says here. He says this, Do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit, he who caused to live in us, envies intensely? Do you know that God also has desires? Yeah, God, you know, we're made in his image, and if we have emotion and desire, God also has desire. You know what he desires? He desires faithfulness. He desires fidelity. He desires that we would love him above all else. That when we sing words like we are friends with God, that we love you, Lord, that we surrender our entire lives, that we actually live that out. But the reality is, as human beings, we can't do that, can we? The reality is, is that we are oftentimes faithless. The reality is that we don't always measure up to our words. And so while James is kind of, is kind of sketching out, this is what reality looks like. This is where we fall short. This is the bag that we have been living out of all our lives. This is the dysfunction that we bring to every conflict, to every relational connection we have. But he says there's hope. There's hope. He says this. He gives us more. By the way, church, say more. He gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives, let's all say this together in red, church, gives grace to the humble. And guys, this is our good news. That though you and I are faithless, Jesus is faithful. Amen? Though we fall short, he will never fall short. Though we will never measure up, he has been met. Not only does Jesus measure up, he's also been lifted up. Amen? Because we can't rely on our ability to be faithful, on our ability to be fully obedient. It's only in the obedience of Christ and his death and his resurrection that we can put our trust in him. So we come to him and we bring our bags to him and look what it says, that we can, how we can have more of this grace in our lives. It says this, Actually, before I do that, I think we need to understand that this is what the gospel does for us. The gospel actually gives us a brand new bag. And this bag is covered in the blood of Jesus, and it can never be washed away. 
See, in this bag, we actually get a whole new set of desires that can rule our lives. The first is that we have this new reality that we're loved. We have been loved generously by a God who gave his entire life for us. He loves us unconditionally. There is nothing you could ever do to earn the love of God, and there's nothing you could ever do that would take away the love of God. You are loved. That is your identity. But not only are we loved, we're also redeemed. We are redeemed. When he sees you, he sees you as holy. When he sees you, he sees you as blameless. When he sees you, he sees you as perfect. You are covered in the righteousness of Christ. So what does it matter what someone has ever said about you? Jesus says you're loved and you're forgiven. You're chosen. You're a holy priesthood. Not only are we redeemed, but we also are reconciled. We're reconciled. This is actually our foundation that we can have reconciliation in our relationships, in our conflict, because God reconciled us to himself. You see, we were in conflict with God, but he made peace with us, kind of like a nation makes a peace treaty with another nation that's at war. God made peace with us through Jesus' death on the cross. And not only did he make peace with us, he gives us the peace of God. We can have a sense of settledness, contentment, no matter what is happening in our lives. And so we can bring these qualities with us, these new desires, wherever we go, because we have been given the grace of God. Grace means favor. So, so literally, we walk around with these two bags. We have a choice. Which bag am I going to put on today? Am I going to live out of my sinful desires, out of my brokenness, out of the lies? Or am I going to put this bag down and live out of the grace of God? Remember that I'm loved, I'm redeemed, and I'm reconciled. We have a choice to live out of either of these two bags. But how do we do that? How do we choose which bag that we put on? Well, James breaks that down for us. Look what he says here. He says this. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, because of the grace of God— we no longer have to bring this into all of our relationships. We don't have to bring this baggage into every conflict that we have. We actually now have an option to bring this bag in, to bring grace and love and kindness and mercy. But we have these two bags, and we actually open these up by faith. Will I believe what this bag says about me and live out of the script that this bag gives me or this one? We, we have a choice in how we do that and how we engage with other people in our conflicts. And, and that's why it's so important to realize this, that we bring these bags into our conflicts, and that's why things can go so awful so quickly. I think it's also important to remember, you know, when we're having a, maybe it's a fight about money with our spouse or our friends, or, you know, we're having a fight with our kids, we're like, where, where is that coming from? Like, it's coming from this bag, but really it's come to this idea that the African theologian Augustine says is that we have disordered desires. Disordered desires. Uh, you know, Augustine, you know, he got his, you know, when you think, ever go to cities like St. Augustine down in Florida or St. Augustine, Pennsylvania, it all comes from the name of Augustine, who was an African theologian, and he kind of helped us define sin by defining sin as disordered desires. 
Like, we, we all have desires, right? We, we all have things that we want intensely. But what happens is when we match the wrong desire in the wrong way, that causes all sorts of chaos. So, for instance, sex is a good desire. It's a good and it's a beautiful thing that God created in the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. It's a beautiful thing. But when that desire gets perverted, when that desire is, whether it's we make sex a god that we pursue with everything in ourselves, that we use sex to control or to manipulate other people, whatever it may be, when we do that, it's a disordered desire. It doesn't bring about God's purposes and plans for our lives. And the same is true for food. We all love good food. And, and, and you know, you know, we, you know, God's given us taste buds so that we can enjoy those things. But whenever we go to food to numb our pain, whenever we go to food for, to numb our anxiety and we become gluttonous and we eat and we eat and we eat and we overeat, what happens? A good desire becomes a bad desire. And you can take that about anything that God has created in the world. There is a good way of using it, but when it's abused or perverted, that is when all sorts of chaos and things happen. The way Augustine would describe it is this way. Uh, John Mark Comer writes in describing Augustine's theology, he says this, According to Augustine, the basic problem of the human condition is that of disordered desires or loves. In his view, human beings were created in love and for love. So we're lovers first and thinkers second. We live primarily from desire, not our rational mind. So, so Augustine is saying this, is our desires, we, we're, we're driven by desire. But what are we pointing our desires towards? Are we pointing our desires towards selfishness or in generous love? And part of the tension, too, is that we actually live in a world that celebrates our disordered desires, don't we? A world that cheers on the disorder that we live in. And that's what James calls friendship with the world. That's what friendship with the world is. Now, when I say the world, I've, you know, I've said this before, the world isn't like, you know, mountains and rainbows and green grass. The world is actually a system of thought. It's a pattern of behavior, a pattern of thinking that we all can kind of inherit and, and live in. And so sometimes when we think about the world, there's, there's a pattern of stories that the world tells us that, you know, these are the things that we value, these are the things that are important. That, that's kind of how the world works. So, for instance, one of the stories that the world tells us is that we should value the American dream versus the gospel. The American dream says that we need to pursue our own pleasures at, every, at the cost of anything and everything else. Or, you know, as much wealth as possible so we can be healthy and successful and all these things, which, again, aren't bad in and of themselves, but when they become the primary focus of our lives, it's a disordered desire. And that kind of becomes the story that we tell ourselves that this is what it means to live our lives. Disordered desires are sometimes reinforced by statements like YOLO, you only live once, or you know what, you do you, bro, which kind of, you know, there's, there's this, this, this underlying current that says, hey, it's all about you. Put yourself first, put your desires first, put what you want first, even if it means you're going to make other people unhappy or uncomfortable or hurtful or hurt them, because it's all about you. You got to put yourself first. And so when we go into a conflict situation, we always bring in this bag, which is reinforced by the broken world that we're in. Which is why James says, we can't put this bag off on our own. We can't even recognize that we're wearing this bag sometimes. Because sometimes these messages make, makes their way into the church. It makes their way into our thinking. This is why James says, and this is, I think, the good news. He says this, he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. 
Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's love over you, whether you deserve it or not. And he says, if you want to access more of that grace, if you want more of that grace to flow into your life like a river, the key is humility. Humility is the key to civility. If you want better relationships, it all starts with humility that will help you get under the surface. So if you want to have healthy relationships, romantic relationships or friendships, work relationships, we have to start with humility. We have to start with we need help. We, we can't take this bag off on our own. We need God's help in order to do that. So I want to look at three takeaways that James gives us on how we can kind of take this bag off and put this bag on. The first is this, is we actually have to begin with Jesus. I got to start with Jesus. Now, maybe some of us are thinking, Nathan, I want to know more about conflict. Like, this is not really intuitive. Like, what, what do you mean that we need to begin with Jesus? Because I think some of us, when we get into a conflict, we want to deal with the issue at hand, right? So we can, you know, we maybe pull out all of our conflict resolution skills, and those are all important, and we're going to need those. But as followers of Christ, we got to start with Jesus. And, and actually, James tells us, when he says this in verse 7, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Now, this word submit in Greek, it's the word upotasso. Upotasso simply means this. It means to put things in the right order. And so what James is saying is this is, hey, when you're in a situation where you're dealing with conflict with your spouse, with friends, with whoever it might be, you need to first put yourself in order and actually go back and check in with Jesus. Because sometimes we automatically assume that we are right in the midst of those conflicts, don't we? I am right, you are wrong, therefore do what I say, Right? But what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 when you're in those situations, James is saying, submit to God. Actually say, hey, God, I'm in this situation. I'm in this argument. Am I seeing things wrong? My teenager said this. There was, there was some attitude in there, and so I came down on them. Was that okay? Like, like what, 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 am I seeing things the right way? Oftentimes, when I'm in a situation where, like, you know, my, you know, my, 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 my blood is boiling, my emotions are all over the place, I go back to this prayer in Psalm 139, which is this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So, God, I'm upset with my teenager, but I grounded them. Was that too much? Was I doing it out of anger? or out of a desire to coach them and to, to lift them up and raise them up in, in the right way. Uh, God, I just blew up on my coworker because they're never, ever, you know, finishing the projects. They're always dropping the ball. But you know what? I never gave them feedback all along the way when they were frustrating me or when they weren't performing. Maybe I could have done a better job with that. Before we confront or before we kind of push for our own way, we need to actually put on our our grace-filled backpacks, and actually ask the question, Jesus, am I wrong in this? Am I seeing this the way you see it? And when we do that, that brings us to the second takeaway that James gives us, is we need to unpack the lies. Because here's the thing, when you and I are in a conflict situation, we are operating in a split-second thinking, right? We're not thinking logically or maybe even rationally in that moment. We are driven by desires, like Augustine says. And so often we need to actually take a step back or to take a beat and say, are there any lies that I'm believing that are motivating and driving my behaviors and my attitudes and actions in this situation? And you might be thinking, Nathan, where, where does James talk about this? Well, right in the same verse, in verse 7, he says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And some of you are thinking, 
resist the devil? Like, what is that? Is that like, you know, like in, in, in like the movie Constantine? Like, you know, fight the devil that way? Or Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Like, what are you talking about, resist the devil? Well, that word resist, it means oppose. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about spiritual warfare. We talked about the number one weapon that Satan uses in North America, in the Western world, is this, lies and deceit. If Satan can say something that's mostly true, but with enough of a lie that you buy into it, he's got you in his hooks. That's kind of how the enemy works. He's like, if I say something that's sort of kind of true, but then attach a lie to it, then I got you. And so, so often we've bought into these lies. And really the goal of Satan's entire strategy hasn't changed since the beginning of humanity. It's this, it's to steal, to kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only goals. So, so this is how this would kind of work. Maybe, you know, if you're married, you're in this situation where you want to be more physically intimate with your spouse. But your spouse is like, you know what, not right now. They give you whatever reason, and you just get angry, and you're like frustrated. And the enemy kind of comes, and he whispers in your ear, they don't appreciate you. You work so hard. You do so much. You know what? You deserve to have your needs met. You know what? You can go online. You can scroll through your phone. You can find some images. And you know what? You deserve it. Go for it. Another way the enemy can, can do it is, you know, if your kids are acting or behaving a certain way and, and you don't like it, and you're thinking, man, like, you hear that voice that says, man, what's up with your kids? Like, you were never like that in middle school or high school. You never behaved that way. Man, if you don't do something now and take control, you know what's going to happen? Uh, they're, they're, they are going to be living in your basement till they're 35. If you don't do something now, they're never going to walk with Jesus. They're not going to be contributing members of society. Then all of a sudden, what do you do? You act out of control. I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to give them long talks so that they know how to behave and what to do in all these social settings. And we get into control, control, control. But the issue is we bought into the lie. We're living out of the wrong backpack. Because we haven't taken the time to say, Lord, am I believing the truth right now? Like, is this, is this stuff true? And when we are able to finally pause and slow down, James says, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, because sometimes life moves so fast we might need to slow down a little bit. We can actually say, what's the lie and what's the truth? The truth is, you know what? My spouse does love me. They care about me. And I need to work towards emotional intimacy and make that the priority more than anything else. And you know what? My kids, they may not have the same experiences I have as a kid, and that's okay. Because they're their own person. God's got them on a journey. I can come alongside with them and pray for them and encourage them in the midst of that. And that's how we do spiritual warfare. We, we identify the lie and we swap it out with the truth. I love what, it's, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, take captive every thought. So every thought that you have, grab it and then put it to the light of God's word. Is that true? Is that kind? Is that lovely? No, that's not any of that stuff. That's not from God. And you toss it out, throw it away. Don't think about it again brings us to the third takeaway that James gives us, which is this, it's to come near to God. You know, I didn't need to come up with anything clever to say with this third one. James is just so good, so clear. I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, rip off of James here. He says this, come near to God. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, maybe you could read this and go, wait, Nathan, does that mean that anytime I sin or anytime I'm in conflict, like God walks out on my life, he just kind of walks to the other room because he's upset with me? That's not what it means. What James is saying is this, is when you come near to God, you're sensitizing your soul so that you are aware that he is already there. 
He promises to never leave you or forsake you, but oftentimes when we're in sin or when we're buying, believing a lie, we actually don't sense the presence of God, and so we need to come to a place where we can sense his presence and realize that he's in our midst. And so here's what James tells us. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Change, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy into gloom. See, he gives us these images, James, because, but they really just are the same thing. It's this, it's repentance. And repentance is kind of a churchy word. It literally means, you know, changing your mind. But it's this idea of this. It's like, hey, you've been living with this backpack on all your life. In fact, this is kind of like, it feels really comfortable, like, you know, maybe a backpack that you've had for a long time. But repentance is, I'm going to take this backpack off and put on this new one. To remember that I'm loved and I'm redeemed and I'm reconciled to God. It means I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to change my thinking. I'm going to change the way I talk because I want to honor Christ and live for him the way he's called me to. And literally, it's a complete change of direction with your lives. And that's why, more than anything else, we need to have that humility so that we can sense what God is doing. Am I going to put this backpack on intentionally? James ends this section by saying this. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. Essentially what James is saying this is you go low and he'll bring you high. You trust in him and he will, he, 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 will, he will give you what you need in the midst of that moment. See, humility is the key to civility. Before you jump in to try to fix the issue or to, to fix the problem, what James is saying is you need to kind of ask which backpack are you living out of? Which one are you wearing? Are you wearing this one with all your selfish desires and your insecurities and your past hurts and traumas, and you're using that to kind of inform your life in the present? Or are you putting on this new backpack that Jesus died to give you? Where Jesus loved you so much, he gave his life for you. And if you wonder, does he still really love me, or how do I know that Christ loves for me? Well, the cross is still bloody and the tomb is empty. He proved his love for us. So we can carry this bag as we go into the world, as we go into life. And maybe you're here today, and maybe there's some conflict in your life. Maybe it's with a spouse, maybe it's with uh, your partner, maybe it's with your kids. And you're like, Nathan, I, I want to put on the backpack. Well, we're going to take a moment to do that by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Some traditions call it communion or the Eucharist, but really the, one of the reasons why we do this is so we can put on that new backpack. Because here's the thing, maybe you had this experience where, you know, maybe you have an old deaf leopard shirt from the 80s, and you're like, man, this shirt's comfortable, but it's covered in stains. Coffee stains, mustard stains, but man, it's comfortable, it feels good, it feels lived in. But now it's time to get a new shirt. It's nicer, that's clean. But, you know, it's easy for us to go after, you know, what we've always worn. We've, we've always worn it. We've always done it this way. But this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel gives us a new identity in Christ. Maybe some of you saw the coronation the other day where England got a new king and a new queen. And, you know, the continuation of the British monarchy or the empire. But as followers of Jesus, when we come to Christ, all of us, become sons and daughters of the Most High King. 
We have a new way of relating to the world. We have a new way of relating with people. We have a new backpack. And so when we come into communion, what we're essentially doing is we're starting with Jesus, we're unpacking the lies, and we're drawing near to God. So here's what I'd like us to do in a moment. I want to give us a couple moments of of silence, of quiet. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and simply just ask God, God, would you speak to me? Would you show me the lies that I'm believing? Would you show me any selfishness? Would you show me any past hurt or past trauma that I'm living out of that I need to surrender to you? Let's go ahead and take a moment right now of silence. Lord, our prayer is Psalm 139. Search us, O God. Know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead me, lead us in the way of life. Lord, we can jump into conflict resolution and, and, and all the skills, but really, God, you want to do a heart change. Because when you change our hearts, you change our mouths, you change our actions, you change our thoughts. Examine us. Show us where we need to surrender to you. Show us where we have had, where we've had friendship with the world, where our desires are disordered. Thank you, Jesus. Father, your word says if we humble ourselves, that you give us grace. Thank you for your grace. We need as much of it as we can get. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.